reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters here with David Lee and today we are going to talk about market volatility, um, indexing the indexes, S&P 500, a bunch of different topics. It's going to be a pretty conversational podcast today, but we're really looking forward to it. Before we get started, David, how's it going today? Um, I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here. Always excited to do this podcast with you. David look, looks extremely uncomfortable right now because he's had, <laughs> he's had a crick in his neck for like two weeks. That's right. You're not supposed to say that on the podcast, Matt. <laughs> okay. So like I said, today we're excited to talk about uh, what, you know recent market events. 2020 has been an unprecedented year in, in a lot of ways, not just related to investing in the markets. But over the last handful of days, really starting in September, we've started to see, see a little bit of an increase in market volatility. We have the election coming around the corner here, which is a topic on everybody's um, mind, and we're getting a lot of questions about that. So we want to talk about that, but also want to talk about um, something that you might see if you watch the news or keep up with investing in the markets at all is how big some of these big companies are getting and the impact that's having on the indexes and the you know the way that these indexes are structured. Um, it's interesting as you really start to dive into it and understand it. Um, so anyways, don't want to get too far down that path, but we're going to touch on that a little bit today. So recent market events, market volatility, we've started to see a little bit of a, a, a decline in the market, I guess you could say overall. The NASDAQ specifically, you know, tech, tech companies have been the hot investment this year with everything going remote, um, Zoom, you know, Apple, all these companies that that have done so well here today. And then the last, you know, few trading days, they're down over 10%. So they've already yeah. entered into correction ter- territory. Um, David, what are your thoughts just kind of on that? Is it, does it come as a surprise? Are you, I mean, where are your No, I mean, the, there's always going to be volatility with the market, right, man? I mean, you and I have been in this business for a long time. And for any of you listening out there, if you've been an investor for a long time, you know that, uh, the volatility, the up and down of the market is just something that's going to go with the territory. One example that one analogy that I often use with uh, folks who start getting worried about volatility whenever the market starts doing its thing, I tell them, look, imagine that someone knocked on your door every moment of the day and offered you a different price for your house. If your house, let's say your house is worth 250000 someone knocks on your door today and says, Hey, I'll give you 150,000. Would you say, Oh my gosh, sell the house because it's dropped a hundred thousand dollars in value. Or would you say, take a hike, come back when you're ready for, to give me a real offer. You would obviously do the latter, right? right. What's well, the same way with the market in my view, by the way, this is also why there, the, uh, rule of thumb is as you get older, have less and less of your percent sure. in the market because markets can sometimes there's a saying, Matt, you probably have heard this one before, that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Right. So sometimes, you know, the market may keep knocking on your door and giving you a terrible, terrible offer. And it may happen, it may stay that way for a long time, but eventually fundamentals are going to drive market returns and a fair valuation will come back. So it's important to make sure you have your 
six month or so emergency fund so that you're not forced to take money out during a down market. It's also important if you're retired to have perhaps 30, 40, 50% of your money that's not in the market, that's safe from that. But the part that is in the market, whenever the natural volatility comes, the most important thing to remember is don't panic and don't don't sell into that fear. Right. Yeah, and we've seen such a big run-up this year in specific companies and specific areas of the market that I think as investors, it's easy, you know, and I group us because obviously we personally invest along with our clients. And so as investors, yeah. it's easy for us to to constantly um, have a high watermark on our investments, yes. right? So even if we see a massive run-up in a short period of time, and then it's like, okay, bam, like my account's here. Yes. And then we immediately base everything moving forward on that number. Exactly. Right. And really, you know, if you if you look at things like rationally, it should be, okay, well, where were we at when things were more of a in a normalized environment? Like starting the year. What did 2019 look like? What did you know, and trying to put the big picture together because if the market runs up and then you're up 30% in a short period of time, to um expect the market to not give some of that up in the short term is Pretty irrational. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you should expect the market. It, it's not like um, it's not like Apple all of a sudden has increased forever. It's it's it, the value of the company by 30 percent into perpetuity. And it's going to keep that growth up. Right. Like there's there are reasons there's speculation that's taking place. It doesn't mean that it's it's not legitimate and that it's not valid. Yeah. It's just it's probably going to give some of that back yeah. up before it continues its longer term trend. It's a great point. I, that's another thing that I say to people a lot of times. Don't base how you think your account is doing based on the highest market ever it ever got to, like you were saying, because it's going to, you're going to have the natural ebbs and flows. The way we handle that for a retired person, uh, several of you listening, you, you're probably already clients. So you already know this. If you have a portion of your, money that's not in the market and a portion of your money that is in the market and you're having to take money out on a regular basis to fund your retirement if the market's doing great and we're having one of those 30 percent runs that you just described there matt i would tell a client when they come in on a review and they're needing to take a withdrawal take it from the market account when the market's doing well sell some of that sell some of that um sell some of your market-based accounts sell some of your stocks your funds whatever take some of those gains off the table. Right. A wise person told me one time, no one ever lost money from selling when they were up. Right. Yep. So if the market's going up, take it from your accounts that are performing well. But when, when we're, when we naturally get those down periods or flat periods in the market and you're retired, that's why we've got the safe money sitting there. So we take from the safe account when the market's not doing so well, and maybe every now and then we take some of the gains off the table when the market's doing well. Yeah, absolutely. And for younger investors, the same is true on the, this is why you look at like rebalancing from time yes. to time. Now we're not, we're not big advocates or big believers in the traditional asset allocation model, right? right? But there's, there's still value in rebalancing and positioning yes. things. And so if you're doing that on a quarterly or annual basis, you know, you get those big runups. If you rebalance back to your your comfortable allocation percentages, right? You're taking some of those gains off the table. Um, and vice versa, if you're, if you're, if the market's just suffered a, a little bit of a sell-off and you reallocate, you're taking some of those safer dollars and buying the stocks at the yes. low point, right? right. So that's why over time you're going to do best when you have those types of um, processes in place. That's right. And, and on that note, speaking of processes, a lot of our, 
uh, market-based accounts kind of do that automatically even within those accounts. Right. For example, um, we have an artificial intelligence strategy that had, that hedges with put options. Well, when the market sold off during the coronavirus sell-off in late February and, er, and March, those put options went way up while the stocks were down. We took advantage of that sell-off by selling the puts at a profit and using those profits to buy more stocks while the market was down. So as the market recovered, that strategy has done really well. So that's that's another way of just kind of mitigating some of the volatility risk. But even with a hedged portfolio with put options in it, it's not going to completely offset that risk. Yeah. I tell, you know, Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's like right-hand man, has been his entire career. Um, I'm not going to get this quote exactly right, but he says he said something at some point about like if you if you own equities and aren't comfortable with uh you know, those positions losing half of their value twice, at least twice throughout your lifetime, then you probably yeah. shouldn't invest in equity. Yeah, that's probably now, good. Now, you know, and and I've, I've got a couple examples here that I'm going to talk about, but I think that's a good mindset to have is, you know, I tell clients all the time, if even if in hedged equity strategies and not to get specific to any one strategy, but if you aren't comfortable losing 10 or 15% yeah. in a, an account that you own primarily stocks or equities in, then that's not... You shouldn't right. even be in the market yeah. if you can't handle a 10 to 15% yeah. sell-off. Yeah. And so um, anyways, we're, we could go down that rabbit hole for a while, but it's an interesting point. Basically, I think to summarize that that topic there is just if if recent market events have you nervous or keep you up at night, like it's time to talk to somebody. Talk yeah. to us. Talk to your advisor. We'd love to give you a second opinion. You know, just talk to somebody because you shouldn't, those, these types of events shouldn't immediately start, make you start rethinking your plan. That's right. And speaking of a plan with a proper plan, really, no matter what age you are, if you're, if you're younger and you, uh, and we go through a market sell-off, you probably don't worry about it all because you're, you're probably too busy, first of all, to even be watching your accounts because you're working, but, and you're, and since you're working and earning an income, you're hopefully putting that money back into the market on a regular monthly basis through your 401k plan or whatever you're investing in. And so you're naturally getting what's called dollar cost averaging, meaning you're investing at, you're, you're buying more shares at lower prices when the market is down and buying fewer shares at higher prices when the market is up. If you're older and you're in or near retirement, first of all, if you're in or near retirement and you have never talked to an advisor and you don't have a plan, you definitely need to talk because if you're like a lot of retirees, you invest in the market through your 401k leading all the way up to retirement. That 401k is typically invested all in stocks through various funds. If you continue to invest that way post-retirement, that can be a problem. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It, a lot of people to that point don't have, don't have a clue how their 401k is invested. Correct. Right. I mean, they may know what the funds are called, Yeah. yeah. but that doesn't tell you a whole heck of a lot. Right. And so um, definitely want to dig into as you get, you know, to that 45, 50, 55 age range, depending on when you're wanting to retire. I mean, you need to have your head wrapped around where your money is, how you're invested, you know, have a good understanding of that. That's right. There's a there's a rule of thumb called the rule of 100 that essentially says whatever your age is, is a good guideline for what percentage of your assets ought to be in safe places where they're not uh exposed to market volatility. Personally, I think the rule of thumb is perhaps a little too conservative. My rule of thumb is age minus 15 
is a good guideline for what percentage of your assets ought to be safe. But the reason why you need to have some percentage that's safe, that's not in the market is so that when you do get those natural, the ebb and flow of volatility, when you get the natural down wave that's going to come from time to time in the market, because a typical bear market can last what, two years or so sometimes right now? Yeah, like two, two and a half years. Yeah, that's kind of average. Yeah. So let's say you have a two year bear market. Well, that means you could have a 24 month period where the market is down. Well, you need to you obviously need to have some of your money that's not in the market to sustain you through that 24 month period so that you're not having to draw money out of an account while it's dropping in value. It causes it to accelerate to zero faster. Right. Yeah. Don't want to double compound the negative. Yeah. It's the opposite of dollar cost averaging, right? Dollar cost averaging helps you when you're working and putting putting money money in. in every month. It works exactly against you when you're pulling money out every month. Right. Yeah. So a good example on this, on just market volatility and how volatile stocks can be. Um, I pulled a couple of examples. So Apple, obviously Apple's a company that's been on the, in the yeah. news lately. They just had a, uh, a stock split, right? They've, they've been a company that has, uh, it was just blown up I mean, yeah. over the last couple of decades. I mean, everyone owns an Apple product. You use Apple services in one way or the another, like they're everywhere. So to say, you know, Apple wouldn't have been a good investment in their IPO would be, you know, crazy. I went back and was running the numbers. If you made a $10,000 investment, so Apple went public, got listed um, December 12th, 1980. Okay. If you made a $10,000 investment, it'd be worth over $9 million today. So just a single $10,000 investment be worth over $9 million today. However, so obviously, you know, and that's, that's almost a 19% compounded annualized rate of return. Yeah. Okay. Um, pretty, pretty decent. So to say, no one would go back and say, Apple's been a poor investment, right? Yeah. What's interesting though, if you look at the, if you look at the chart and you look at mo- from a recent high, how many times the stock price touched the minus 50% mark Yeah. from a, from a most recent high. Um, so this is, if you drew a line at the 50% down mark and how many times the stock price hit that from a recent high. That's happened 13 times to yeah. Apple wow. that it's that its stock price has yeah. hit, you know, it's hit this, it's, it's dropped 75% seven times <laughs> since 1980 yeah. that it's touched that down 75% from, from its most recent high. Yeah. Um, hasn't had anything quite that drastic as of late. Um, 2008 was one time that it hit minus 50%, you know, but that was the last time it hit minus 50, but that just goes to show no one would say Apple has been a poor investment. And you would have lost more than half of the most recent high watermark in that position 13 times. Yeah. Right. If you sold at the wrong time. Yeah. If you yeah. sold it, like if you, you panic. So, yeah. So it's just, it's one example of mark, you know, markets are going to react. They're going to fluctuate. That's right. You don't need to react. If you're reacting based on market um, events, then you need to go back to the drawing board, look at your plan, you know, design it a little bit differently. That's right. And one of the things, speaking of designing your plan, one of the things we like to try to include in every plan, especially for someone who's in or very near retirement, we want to solve for the income first, right, Matt? We want to make sure that between social security and if if you're fortunate enough to have a pension, your pension, so social security plus pension plus say, an annuity income stream or whatever you have, we want those guaranteed income sources to hopefully cover all of your 
basic necessities for living so that that way you don't have to worry so much right. about what the market is doing. Right. So because that's what really tends to get people in trouble is if they've got virtually all of their assets tied up in the market and they're retired and they're watching that market and they're thinking, oh my gosh, the market's down X percent today. I'm going to run out of money if I don't get all that money moved out of the market and into something safer. And that's what causes people to make those moves when, you know, it's like, again, the example I used earlier, someone's knocking on your door and saying, I'll give you 150,000 for your $250,000 house. Well, if you just lost your job and you've got no retirement savings and you've got no other options, you're going to have to take that $150,000 offer. Right. Right. You want to be able to sell your house when it's the right time. And you can have that luxury if you've, planned well right. and you've got plenty of assets it's the same way with the market yeah you know absolutely and and just for those of you that are interested being here in northwest arkansas i ran the same numbers on walmart so for <laughs> if you look at walmart going back to 1970 when it listed and made a ten thousand dollar investment it'd be worth right around 20 million dollars today wow um and unbelievable not quite as much volatility in terms of the 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 um drop the percentage drop but if you look at like 25 to 30 percent drops it's happened like a little over like 20 times with yeah Wal even with walmart you look yeah. at walmart it's like tried and true i mean it's as good of a company as you're gonna find out there right yeah and 25 30 percent drops happen like yeah every year every other year and the, <laughs> but the the other thing that's also true obviously i mean you talked about the success and how much it would have grown. Look how many years it took Apple. You mentioned Apple earlier, went public, I think you said 1980. Yeah. And I think yep. they just became the world's first, if I'm not mistaken, I think they became the first $1 trillion company like two, three, years four ago. years ago. Yeah. And so it took all that time. What is that? 30 years, four, 40 years, sorry, 40 years almost for it to become a $1 trillion company. And then it, it's gone from $1 trillion to $2 trillion like in the last, has it been one year or two years? I can't. It's just in the, yeah. In the last years. one year. Yeah. Maybe 18 months, something like that. So it's that hockey stick. It's, there's a great book out there called the compound effect that talks about if you just make good decisions time after time over a long period of time, you eventually get these hockey stick type right. results, whether it's your related to your physical fitness, your spiritual health, your mental health, your financial health, what relational health, the same concepts apply. Well, you see it in Apple stock, you see it in Walmart stock, but it doesn't, it, it has to do with making those good decisions compounded over time though. Yeah, absolutely. So transitioning here, um, the last little bit of the podcast, I want to talk about how big some of these companies have gotten and how that relates to the indexes, because when, whenever we're looking, even us as advisors, we're looking at just like the market performance. We're looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, right? We're looking at these indexes that are giving us an idea of how this group of companies are doing in a given day or week or month, right? And so that's what everybody sees, Fox News, CNN, depending on which side you're on, right? Yeah. You're seeing it on, you're seeing the headlines and the ticker symbols of the S&P 500 and what it's up or down for the day. So looking at how big some of these companies have gotten, David was just talking about Apple's gotten to two trillion, right? And and Microsoft and Amazon, some of these companies are just massive. And when we're looking at these indexes on the headlines and and on our TV screens, it's it's I think it's wise to know what those numbers mean, right? We just look at S and P five hundred, and most people are just like yeah, S and P five hundred. 
because they they're comfortable with the name of it, yeah. you know, standards were 500 and, and um, they've seen it a lot, but very few people actually know what that, yeah, is, what that is and yeah. what, how it's calculated, what that index is. So if you look at the S and P 500, it's 500 companies, right? And there's an index that they use to a bunch of mathematical formulas that they use to track the price movements of those 500 companies. Well, every index, different indexes are calculated and weighted differently. Yeah. So the S&P 500 happens to be a cap-weighted um, index. Yeah. So the the larger your capitalization as a company, the more weight you have within the S&P 500. So a big so cap a, company like a Walmart or right. an Apple, a Netflix, an Amazon are going to make a big make, have a, a huge big impact. chunk. Yeah. Right. And I think they more they typically refer to it as like a value-weighted index, same yeah. thing as capitalization. But yeah. if you look at the S&P 500 as as an example. The top four companies make up 20% of the S&P 500. So you yeah. ha- here you have an index of 500 companies and less than 1% of them make up 20% of the weight of what that index is doing in a given day, right? Apple, 7% mm-hmm. in and of itself, just by itself. If you look at the top 10 companies, so this is your Apple's, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, who, which is the parent company for Google, Berkshire, Johnson & Johnson, Visa, Procter & Gamble, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Top 10 companies, S&P 500, make up over 30% of the market, <laughs> of the S&P 500 index weighting, Yeah. right? So the reason I like, I wanted, wanted to touch on this is because there's, a, there's been over the last decade or so this huge move to passive investing and indexing. And it's just like, just buy the index. You're going to do better. And the big reason that's done this because Warren Buffett came out and said, well, you know, when I leave my money, I'm going to tell my wife to just yeah. buy the index. Right. Yeah. And so everybody was like, well, that must be what we need to do with our yeah. money. Yeah. Well, you look at what Warren Buffett's done throughout his life. It's the exact opposite of what he does professionally. Yeah. Berkshire that's invests right. in individual companies that they feel like are going to do well. That's right. And so uh, it's kind of a do as I say, not as I do, <laughs> you know, but um, it's interesting. There's been this huge move to passive investing. I think there's a, those investors are taking a lot more risk than they realize because there's this yeah. assumption that, Hey, I'm buying the S and P 500. I'm diversified. I'm well diversified. Yeah. So yeah. you're buying and I, you can't invest just to make it clear. You can't buy the S and P 500 right. directly, but you can buy a fund, an ETF or mutual fund that mimics or tracks a, a given index. And so say you go out there and buy SPY, an ETF that tracks the S&P 500 index. A lot of people assume they're well diversified across 500 different companies. And in reality, they have 30% weighting in 10 companies. Yeah. Right? So you would be much more diversified by taking that portfolio and investing in 50 companies equally weighted. Yeah. At like 2% each. Yeah. You're much, much more diversified than just going out by the index, even though you might have a fraction of a percentage invested in 500 companies. You know, 400 plus of those companies have no real weight yeah. in what's going yeah, on not, in your account. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's also why you can see large swings in the index in a exactly. given day because they're not well diversified. They, it's a myth that they're well diversified. And they they kind of are because they do have all those little stocks in there. But it's such a small percentage that it's not really affecting the the performance day-to-day of those indices. Right. I mean, you look at the I, – I saw just yesterday in this this little – in the NASDAQ correction, you know, entered into correction territory. There were the four – the three or four top 
players in the NASDAQ had lost over a trillion dollars of market cap mm-hmm. in like three days. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. I mean, it's absurd. Crazy. So taking that same approach and then we'll wrap it up here. The NASDAQ 100. So the NASDAQ is an index and then the NASDAQ 100 is 100 consti- constituents of the NASDAQ index. And it's like your large non-financial, primarily tech-related companies, right. right? And the so the NASDAQ 100 is 100 companies. The top three, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft, make up 35%. So you have 3% of the NASDAQ 100 index that make up 35%. So again, same story. You buy the NASDAQ 100 or the Qs. It's an Invesco ETF, QQQ. You buy that and assume, hey, I'm I'm buying into these 100 companies. You're really taking 35% of what you just invested and bought bought three companies. So you better be extremely comfortable owning that much of those three companies. or you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. So, anyways, we the the portfolios that we do, you know, uh, that we manage, that we that we use for clients, they're they're different. We're we're investing and allocating where you don't have that much exposure to any one company. And um, I I think active investing, we'll start to see more of a comeback here for sure. That's what I believe too. Yeah. I believe I definitely believe that our strategies uh, use are definitely active investing. We use I alluded to it earlier. We use the benefit of artificial intelligence, the advantage, I should say, of artificial intelligence to help us with that active investing. And then we, and then we hedge the, for the unknown risk with, with options. Right. Yep. So anyways, there's a lot, we'll probably get into a little bit more of the weeds here on a future podcast. Just wanted to touch on recent market volatility, what we've seen lately. We've been getting a lot of questions on it. Um, Also wanted to touch on, you know, the, the, the indexing strategy that so many people have used over the last decade or so. And I think, I think we're living the, through the kind of the shift maybe of going back to active investing. Yeah. It's not an overnight shift. Yeah. It'll be, it'll probably take years as people start to learn that, okay, I could get burned indexing yeah. more than I realized. But um, I think we're starting to see some of that today. So um, great conversation. Always enjoy, uh, enjoy doing these as always. If you have any questions, Visit our website. You can go to the podcast section and enter questions on the podcast ex- section, or you can email podcast at mock-onefinancial.com. Natalie, can you talk about some of our upcoming guests? We have a CPA coming on the show here next week, and then in about a month or so, we will have a mortgage broker. Okay, perfect. So we'll have some good guests on in the near future on some hot topics. I've, we've already gotten the great feedback on the real estate podcast that we just did with Chad yeah. BB. So yeah. um, Northwest Arkansas real estate market's really hot right now. So definitely yeah. check that out. Yeah, definitely listen to that podcast. A lot of good, useful information on that one. Yeah. And we'll probably over the next month or two have some more up, uh, some more podcasts on current events with the election coming up. We'll want to keep that on you know everybody's um, minds and just be talking through what's going on there. So that's it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, Inc. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular skill level or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. 
Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mach-1financial.com disclosures.